Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. I'm Andy Davis, and in this podcast, I will interview the people working in the data center sector and tell their stories. If you are working in the DC sector or you are looking to work in the sector, then this is a podcast for you. Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. Today, I'm joined by John Pettit, Chief Commercial Officer at Xcall. Good morning, John. Good morning, Andy. How are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for coming on today. Looking forward to obviously learning more about your career, talking a bit in detail about the calling side of the sector mm-hmm. and obviously learning a bit more about Xcall as well. Before we start, just want to give a quick introduction of, of who you are and what you do in the sector. Yeah, certainly. So uh, as you say, Andy, my name is John Pettit. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer here at Xcall. Um, I've been involved in the data center market for now, oh my goodness, probably coming on to 18 years, maybe 20 years. Um, and here at Xcall, we uh, provide um, data, data center cooling solutions um, ac- ac- across the globe. Um, uh, I, I started my career, um, well, by trade, I'm a mechanical engineer. So that's how I, how I started it, it, into it. And I've always been involved in HVAC straight out of um, uni. Um, I joined York, um, as it was at the time, um, before it was acquired by um, Johnson Controls. And I was there, gosh, I was probably there for 12 years. Um, but the last three or four years, and this is where I kind of got my taste of data centers, was involved in, in only doing data center cooling. And I was lucky enough to do work um, all over the world. I did stuff here in the UK. I did projects in China. I did projects in the Middle East, all around data centers. And that really starts to pip your interest about what is going on. Of course, at the time, you know, the a data center as we know it now, you know, it was very different back then. But um, from that moment on, um, after I left um, Johnson Controls, um, I joined um, the Swedish company uh, Munters, uh, where I was uh, uh, I started their data center European business. They had a fairly successful business in the US, but in Europe um, they had nothing, and and it was decided that they wanted to to grow that business. Um, and we really uh, really did a good job there. Um, we ended up with um, some fairly serious hyperscale clients, um, and I did that for ten years. We grew the business grew um, the, t- the type of technology, grew the team. Um, and then, where are we? 22, so three and a half years ago, I left uh, and took up my position here at Xcall just to kind of continue that that journey into, you know, into data centers. And, you know, for me, it's about the the reduction of things like carbon emissions from it and reduction of energy and reduction of water consumption in data centers because i think yeah we all know it's never it's not going to stop anytime soon so anything we can do to to limit the impact that happens um on the environment and, and the planet by what we do is a good thing and, and x call is you know that's what we're all about we're all about making sure that everything we do um, is about reducing our, our our footprint without being too cliche about it, but trying to reduce our footprint whilst being still very technology advanced in the way that we approach it. Yeah, and that obviously brings us on to regarding your career. I know you've spent a lot of your time in sort of sales, management, and yeah. your business development positions. How have you seen the customer's demand change over your career? Because obviously now they are more focused on sustainability, yeah. et cetera. Is that what you're seeing yeah. from, from the sector? Uh, I, 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 absolutely. I, I mean, so 
you know, if you look past over the, the last decade, there's probably five major points that um, that, that I always look at as my signals of what's going on in the market the the one that has remained the same is the fact that low energy consumption is still the single probably biggest driver of 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 data centers despite what they might say or what they might think it's still all about delivering a low energy um solution um on the cooling side Um, and i think you know cooling such an important part of a data center if you get the cooling right everything else kind of follows through um, and it helps you with all the other infrastructure. So low energy is one for sure. Um, and what was interesting kind of a decade ago, and this is a, probably the biggest change, is because data centers were so much smaller, there was not a particularly big drive on water on reducing water consumption. If it helped reduce power, Clients were a lot happier to say, yeah, hey, we'll, we, we've got loads of water. And you know what? A one meg or a two megawatt data center, yeah, it would use water, but maybe not, not a great deal. However, you talk about today, we're not talking one or two megawatt data centers anymore. We're talking 20, 30, 40, 50 megawatts, even bigger. Hey, that's a lot of water. If, you, if we kept doing it the way that we were doing it 10 years ago, we'd be draining oceans to cool down some of these um, data centers. So that was, that's been a huge shift in, in, um, in how we've approached um, uh, the market for sure. The, the, the other things are a bit more kind of uh, practical things. So as data centers have got bigger, the plant space has actually got less. Um, So the you can't come up with these very elaborate very large cooling systems anymore they need to be very compact in a way that um uh, that they're deployed and quickly deployed as well um and um still the things that another thing that still remains the same is you know is the security in terms of air quality inside a data center you know you want to keep a data center the white space as clean as possible you know and um you know data centers are now being built in places of the world where potentially you can get sandstorms forest fires uh, and just general pollution from from industrial regions that um due to changes within the servers themselves because they become more reactive to maybe some of the um, uh, composites of the air that might be passing through. So keeping a clean environment is, is still a really, really big issue. So, yeah, we, we've seen some big some big swings. The, t- the biggest ones are consumption of water and size of, of plant space available, really. Um, I'm sure there'll be people out there arguing with me saying density of, of inside data centers has changed. It has, but probably not as big as what some people might think. You know, I I think um, there were some predictions of, you know, really, really high densities by 2022. And, yeah, there may be some some, um, uh, HPC stuff out there that that is. But generally, 85% of the market is still relatively sensible in terms of density. It's gone up for sure, but it's still within the realms of... of, uh, of, of realism is probably how I would describe it, Andy. 
Yeah, interesting. And I always say to people, I think unless you look back, it's hard to kind of quantify how quickly the sector grows, isn't it? You, yeah. you think you yeah. talk 10, 10 years going from you know, like oh. say one or one or two yeah. megawatts to yeah. one hundred yeah. or two hundred yeah. and up megawatts. So I see. And I, I remember. So what, what, some of the first data centres I ever did, going back to my time at Johnson's. It was the norm to completely fit out a data center, even if you, they didn't have a client. So we would be putting megawatts of chillers on top of buildings, and day one load would be 500 kilowatts. Yeah, you'd have all of this infrastructure there. So uh, the mentality around um, how data centers are built has changed as well. It's become a more I don't want to say modular because I don't mean modular in terms of containerized modularization. I mean build as you grow is probably a, a, the best phrase to use. It's the fact that, right, I'm going to build my building this big. I know I'm only going to fit out 750 kilowatts or a megawatt or two megawatts. How can I build my infrastructure that as I get more clients in, I can I can build it out in a sensible way? It keeps down my day one capex costs. It keeps down my, my OPEX costs anyway. Um, so that's, and I've been impressed actually how the industry has done that. You know, there's some really clever stuff out there where people are coming up with these um, uh, ways of extending their data center in a way that it's not a massive day one cost um, straight out. So yeah, it's been, it's, it's, it's certainly a, an exciting industry that never ceases to amaze me and never, and never stops changing. That's for sure. Uh, but I, th- and I think that's why we enjoy it, though. I think it is that evolution, yeah. constant evolution that keeps us excited by the sector. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And it is. And there are now some truly clever technologies out there on all aspects of the data center, not just cooling, just some but people are now looking at it. And, and this was a bit of a seismic shift, I think. And, and if, you, if you ask me to put my finger on it, I would say probably five years ago, data centers started to be really considered as uh, 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 as not a commercial building anymore, as a as a as a data center as it should be, um, and innovations around that in terms of kind of generators, cooling, security, you know, all of these things that you would you could use in other buildings, but they're now being specifically designed to be built around uh, a data center. And I'll, I'll, t- I'll give you a really quick example. So in the really early days. When we were supplying, you know, when I've supplied chillers or I've been on sites that have had chillers on, inherently a chiller is designed to have all kinds of safeties in it. You know, if the head pressure got too high or if this happened, then ideally the chiller would stop to protect itself. That is the complete opposite of what you want a cooling system in a data center to do. You want it to run to destruction. If there's a fire in your data center, the last thing you want is for your cooling to switch off. You want it to be the last thing up there on fire, but still operating until the very last second. You don't want it to switch off because it's detected a fire or a compressor's gone. You you got to, these things have just got to run and run and run. And, and I think it was about five, six years ago where that, switch kind of turned in the market and technologies come out specifically around it's about the protection of 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 the processes on the servers it's not even about the protection of the data center itself it's the protection of of what's going on inside your servers that um that that really did a bit of a seismic shift in technology 
Yeah, interesting. And obviously that brings us on to Xcall uh, and yeah. finding a bit more about some of the technology you're involved with. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you touched on it briefly earlier, kind of, but you just want to give a brief introduction of what what you guys offer and you know, yeah, how, you fit, sure. how you fit in in the sector. Yeah, yeah. So we, so Xcall, so we've been going since 2010, so we're in our 12th year. Um, so all we do is we are data center cooling specialists um, and all of our cooling solutions or the majority of our cooling solutions are based around um, indirect um, uh, uh, adiabatic cooling uh, of some description. Uh, and we've moved on. I mean, our technology is is almost unrecognizable in the way that we operate our units when it was five, six years ago. And bear in mind back then, you know, people were throwing swimming pools of water at units to keep them cool, so you use low power. So, yeah, you know, the comments that we would get back from our clients was very much, "Hey, love, love your technology, absolutely brilliant, but um, it's a bit big, and God, you use a lot of water. What can you? Gosh, you really use a lot of water. So we have, we've re- completely redeveloped our technology into, into what we have today. But um, so, say so we've been going since two thousand and ten. Um, we're based here in the Midlands, in um, just outside Birmingham, at a place called Bronzegrove. We employ here on this site, I've got 150 people. I've got 180,000 square foot of manufacturing space as well. Three years ago, two and a half years ago, I opened up our first office in the US. So I, we've got um, a showroom um, and storage facilities in South Carolina. Um, we're just working on our fourth major project now in the US. Uh, which is great, but we've got over a th- globally, we've got over a thousand units out there. Um, we're cooling somewhere in the region of about three hundred uh, megawatts of, of of white space. Um, so uh, we've always had, uh, you know, our the heart of all of our units is our own heat exchanger that we manufacture right here in Bronzegove. We manufacture it, we test every single heat exchanger. And it is a non-metallic composite uh, material heat exchanger. So you, you don't get any kind of uh, corrosion. <laughs> you don't get any, any type of corrosion um, on the uh, on the date on the um, um, on the heat exchanger. So we're now so with the, the new solution where we are, we have a uh, it, it's a um, compact unit. Um, it's either 250 or 500 kilowatts. It's a, an adiabatic system, but it uses incredibly small amounts of water. And the way I often refer this about getting too technical is five years ago, we were throwing swimming pools of water at our unit. We're now throwing cupfuls and getting a very similar cooling capacity whilst keeping the, the, the power consumption really, really low. So that's probably the best way of getting super technical, but it's uh, a minute amounts of water um, and the things that kind of set us apart are it's uh, it's kind of an all-in-one uh, box. So everything's in the box. You, not only have you got your, your, your pump and your sprays and your fans, but you've also got your water treatment is in the same box and you've got your water storage. So, again, going back five years, six years, you know, you'd used to have an X-Call unit and then you'd need a water storage tank and then you'd need a water treatment system. That's all gone. It's just one modular box that goes on the outside or goes on the roof roof of a building. We've seen lately, from a water usage perspective, quite a lot in the media, haven't we? About you know, mm. I, I think it was a Google facility yeah. where it it, yeah. re, re, it received quite a lot of negative press around the yeah. amount of water it used. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think it's just a case of us as a sector getting the message over more that 
there are solutions that don't utilize as much water as what the media is saying yeah absolutely so so education is is everything in in this sector and you know i've I've made a bit of a personal crusade of of mine actually on this one andy because look we all know that if, if you trace power lines back from a data center far enough you'll eventually find a power station of some description maybe coal gas nuclear but there will be a power station what some people don't understand or maybe what not everyone understands is the relationship between electricity and water. Um, and now water is used in various different ways throughout the power sector, throughout the, the process of power generation. Um, so, uh, uh, and this is the bit, and this is a challenge. I'm not going to lie to you, Andy. This, this is a challenge when I'm out there um, speaking. Uh, I'll do a lot of public speaking on this. But there is an incumbent amount of water in almost all types of power generation. Um, something like 65% of all the power generated in the US has some incumbent water involved in it. So it needs to use water. Then you've got to consider that once that water has been turned or used into a power generation, that power has got to get from the power generation plant to the data center. And generally, on average, that is that that will give you somewhere about nine to ten percent losses, electrical losses. So make this really simple. You've just created one kilowatt of power at your power station. By the time it gets to your data center, it could be only 900 watts of usable power. Now, what what we're trying to show and demonstrate is that that say gallon of water that's been used to create that one kilowatt of power if you use that one gallon of water at the data center for cooling in a very efficient way such as something like the x equals zero you get the full use of that whole gallon of water so straight away you get 10 percent more efficiency out of that water you are effectively saving water because you're not using it at the power station that's got other losses as well, not just the electrical losses, other things. So um, the message, and this is, I know it sounds absolutely crazy, is that by using water in a, 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 an evaporative or adiabatic type system as this, you're actually saving water across the holistic power generation infrastructure of your data center. And we're getting more traction now because data center owner operators, certainly the bigger ones, are starting to look at their holistic um, uh, infrastructure. They're starting to see, well, uh, okay, I'll I'll see what's going on in my data center, but where is my power coming from? How is my power being generated? And I I think a lot of people would like to think it's being generated by wind or solar or something. The truth is you'll be really lucky if your power is being generated by anything quite so green. I mean, even, even things like, hydropower which people would consider to be green uses an enormous amount of water and then um and and this is this blew me away a few years ago when i was doing the original research these big man-made dams the reservoirs behind them the amount of evaporation of water off the top of the lake on a day-by-day basis is is staggering so anything that we can do to stop water being used to generate power is a positive in terms of the overall uh, water consumption in, in your life cycle of a data center. So, so to me, there's, there's, there's two reasons why 
people won't use water to call a data center. Number one is that it's just not available, just physically not available due to location, due to um, um, you know any other factors that you know, and then you know, there's nothing we can do about that. Yeah, that just is what it is. But the argument around it's not green or sustainable, that's what I strongly disagree with because you uh, you will use less power and you will use less water if you use water intelligently at the data center. Um, and there are reports and studies and, you know, I've, honestly, it's a personal crusade of mine at the moment, Andy, I've been into it for a couple of years to try and prove this. Um, uh, and there's loads of numbers that support, you know, what I'm saying. Water is such a valuable resource that that it just can't be wasted. We cannot waste it in any shape or form. Um, so we are very much saving water by by cooling in the way that we do. That's really interesting, and, and obviously raise some great points because I say I think it is an education piece of a lot of yeah. the the challenges that we see in the media. It's it's just us as a sector kind of having our opinion back is is what we need to do. Yeah. So great to hear that you're trying to do that how do you think the future of cooling will be impacted by obviously you know more focus on the use of water and and other solutions that we can use for cooling yeah it's um i I think in terms of uh i i I think what we've got to be careful of as an industry is that there are um unrealistic targets set about water use at a data center Without yeah, going back to what I was saying, about really understanding this whole holistic approach of of where the water comes from, and where the water ends up, and then what actually happens to it. So, so that's so that's number one. Is I think we need to be careful, and and if there are unrealistic targets being set, we need to educate local authorities. We need to you know educate the water board and people like that, so they can understand that actually it's a good thing that we're doing, not 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 a bad thing. Um, and then there are some interesting technologies that are coming on board that are essentially dry, completely dry technologies. Now, uh, I think um, uh, I could probably say with some confidence that every dry technology will always use more power than, than a, a technology relies on either an atomizing system or an adiabatic system to call. So um, there are solutions if it is absolutely imperative that it has to be dry, but there are also consequences to that. So people have to understand that I'm going dry, but I'm going to have to use uh, uh, more, more power than to that. So it's uh, it's interesting. Obviously, you know, there's um, you know liquid in immersion cooling, which I know is a really hot topic around around the industry at the moment. So I'm I'm, I'm always interested to see how that is going to how that is going to pan out when eventually that gets some uh, uh, that gets a little bit of traction into the market. Yeah, and one point that's come up a few times is obviously the impact that rising costs of power is going to have on mm. decision decision making because mm. it's easy to say that you want to do it, but then when you look at the cost, like you said, if there's an increased cost to go dry, you know, are mm. are the operators now going to say, well, actually, it's just not cost effective at the moment mm. because our power cost is yeah. so high. Mm. yeah and and it is it's just the um you know it's changing the mindset of 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 getting people to understand that it's not a bad thing using water to cool down your data center it's actually a very good and a very positive thing and has a positive impact on the whole environment look um as i say they are you know the industry is getting better looking outside their little insular box of 
that's my data center looking at the whole um, path of what's going on um, in terms of where my power is coming from, where's my water coming from. Um, yeah, there are different solutions out there for, you know, kind of reclaimed water, new water. I mean, Singapore, for example, I'm actually, I'm, I'm off Singapore soon and um, see some clients, but Singapore is a great example because they have something called new water, which is um, uh, a semi-industrial water, but it is fairly clean and soft. There are, lots of technologies around that can make use of that um uh, re- that water would just be kind of thrown away essentially but to be used um so people only think a bit outside the box where's the water coming from can we do something a bit different with this water um what's the best use of our of all of our um, utilities together the power and the cooling together Interesting. Another point I wanted to touch on is is about the su- supply chain challenges that facing yes. the sector at the moment, and yeah. it's something that comes up all the time in my conversations mm. about you know delays to projects, delays to upgrades, etc., yeah. etc. Et so I just wondered how it had impacted you as a business mm. with the increased demand mm. and you trying to keep up mm. with that demand. Yeah. So um, uh, so what we've done actually, so when we come up with a new X equal zero um, solution, which was now about three years ago. Um, we moved from a on-station type production to almost a production line type um, manufacturing uh, model. Um, I won't say we're like Volkswagen or Ford where things are rolling down automatically. We're not quite there yet, but we are in a much better position than, than we ever have been. So to give you an idea, we previously we could build about two, two and a half units a week, three units maybe of the old style, the new ones, you know, without really you know, any effort, we're building 12 units a week and that can go up to 20 or 22 units a week because every unit is the same. You know, we've tried to load the unit with all the bells, all the whistles, anything anyone could possibly want is on the unit, which means that we can just continuously build. So it's made our supply chain a lot easier because we're just buying the same products. You know, for example, the fans we use, are the same fans on our um, internal side to our external side. So we've got eight identical fans. So when we talk to fan manufacturers, it's a far easier conversation to have about, I just want as many fans of, of this type as you get. So the, the supply chain um, dramas were, were quite interesting for us. We we always have a, a regular delivery of fans of you know quite a substantial number, could be four or 500 a month, maybe even more. Um, but when the, the supply chain issues hit, that dropped off. We we had a big stock, so it wasn't really worrying us. Um, it started to pick up again now. But what we found were other manufacturers that have placed orders um, and said, well, right, yeah, we're going to place an order for 500 as well. Now the fan manufacturer is getting to a point saying, actually, I've got the stock in now. Do you want it? Some of these manufacturers are saying, actually, no, I don't want it because I, I haven't got orders for it. And because we're just buying one fan, you know, we're, we're regularly getting calls from our fan manufacturer saying, look, I've got a pack, I've got 100 fans, I've got 200 fans. Do you want them? Absolutely. I mean, I've at the moment, I've got fans coming out my ears. I mean, we've got people sitting on fans. We've got, yeah, yeah we've got, because that, that was our, our biggest impact. Everything else we were fine with. Um, and we work closely with our supply chain manufacturers. The problem is, is that if you speak to them, that they they don't see any end to this actually it will get a little bit better they said but they think it will take years to get back to where it was so it needs more 
So manufacturers such as ourselves need to be very need to plan very carefully and and look not just six months ahead, but a year ahead now on placing orders for uh, for key components. Yeah, and you've only got to look at organizations like Intel, haven't you, and the investment yeah. that they're they're putting into the prefab to yeah. keep up with the demand in yeah. the future. Yeah. On the demand side of it, have you seen any kind of downturn or you or is it still going up how's demand yeah. looking for you so so during um so so demand is going up yeah for, you know in very simple terms demand's going up but during covid we were able to continue to operate and manufacture in actual fact we saw an upturn in covid from some of our clients because they wanted to open their data centers quicker than what they originally anticipated and that trend just seems to have continued um, as as it goes through so i don't see any um certainly don't see any drop in um uh in in demand for uh, you know for, for the solution um that we have what we're doing actively as a business is we're looking in other regions of the world so we're looking in um you know, doing we're doing projects in, in africa we're doing we have to going to do projects in the middle east projects out in asia um so they're they're regions we've never really looked at properly before um but now we are, you know, because because we're now able to manufacture so much quicker, it makes it a lot easier for us to to move things around. So, yeah, it's exciting times for us as we as we look in other regions of the world. Yeah, and obviously similar, you know, for ourselves, that's where a lot of the demand is now. Is it these emerging mm. markets are where you're going to see that big mm. next wave of demand, basically? Absolutely, yeah. From um, sort of a future. Pre- prediction side of things i always like to ask everybody sort of what they think how they think the sector is going to evolve over the next coming years is there anything particular you've got your eye on that you think is going to have quite a big impact on the data center sector um i i think uh, I, I mean in a sim, in a simple terms probably no i don't is anything major out there that's going to come in as a as a sledgehammer and, and knock us um uh, sideways as maybe some things have done in the past there'll be small incremental changes that will help um things like um the uh, uh, server densities will have a, an impact to a point in, in what we're doing um cost of power wherever that's going to end will have have an impact um one of the biggest impacts i think just generally and that's not just for the future i think it just is what it is is land you know people are our data center operators are moving out of the traditional data center um hubs and finding other locations so that's 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 interesting to see where the, the new data center hubs are, are going to grow. Is there going to be a new data center hub, or are they just going to sprout out here, there, um, and, and everywhere? Um, and, and I suppose the, the other one, which would be remiss not to mention, is what's going on within the cryptocurrency world, because that has a. Um, um, if you yeah, you know, if we'd had this conversation twelve weeks ago, we would have said, "Oh my god, this could be crazy." But now, looking where the state where crypto is, yeah, maybe not as much of an impact as it is. But it is a all of these things will have an uh, a change of direction on the market. But nothing I see as a ma- will be a massive swing that will go, "Wow, okay, we, we're not going to need this." Or data center designs from now on are going to look like this because of this technology or, or this um, invention yeah crypto is one of those things i've got a bit of a fascination with just how it impacts a sector because i'm yeah. totally like yourself you know it kind of goes yeah. peaks and troughs obviously mm. and i had um, 
from Mark from Edgevana on last week about blockchain yeah. and how that technology oh, yeah. is going to, you know, not crypto, but the blockchain yeah. technology, yeah, yeah. how that's going to impact the sector. There's so many different facets mm. like that that are out there that could come in and have quite an impact. But mm. like you say, they're sort of on the periphery at the moment mm. and we don't yeah. really know how big it's going to be. No, no. It, oh, oh, I think it'll all depend around the, the, the regulation, how regulatory it, be, it becomes. Because as soon as some of it becomes regulatory, it means it will have to be housed in certain types of data centers with certain types of security, certain types of tiers. So I think that's that will have the impact in the fact that all of a sudden your local crypto miner is mining in a in a you know in his shed or or he's built a barn or something. All of a sudden he just won't be able to do that anymore. It's going to have to become regulatory. And then there may be a uh, a very quick expansion of, of space, or certainly maybe not expansion of space. Certainly, the space that's available at the moment will be very quickly gobbled up by some of these people that will come in and say, "Well, yeah, I'll take you know, two thousand square meters, or, or whatever you got, I'll take." Kind of scenario. Yeah, and on the land side of it, which again is quite an interesting point. What you're seeing in the states, obviously, is these massive, you know huge campuses aren't you centralizing everything like like quantum loophole and things like that that in the sort of territory but outside the normal area but the scale of them is ridiculous you know are we Mm. going to see that in in all regions Mm. or will that Mm. is it just in the u.s they can do it because they've got the land so i think that will be interesting Uh, yeah i think i think you're right i think in the u.s they can do it because they've got the land um europe i think we would struggle to see that kind of expansion anywhere um i don't the, the land and the power is just not available for them to do something like that um uh, i mean we could talk about russia um china and russia and what's going to happen there uh, that's again uh, a crystal ball you've got no idea what's going to happen in in these um in these countries um that have got the land and potentially have also got the power to do it it does seem like that, that could be places for them but obviously there are other aspects around um what's going to happen in there um uh, and what they'll allow outsiders to do in some of these countries yeah yeah it's definitely it's one to come back and talk about again in a couple of years oh absolutely see see what's happened see where we're at yeah yeah um before we close obviously really enjoyed that conversation you covered you know got some great points out there and a great insight to the calling side and also some key points in the sector but there's one question i ask everyone on the podcast if you could give one piece of advice to anyone looking to work in the data center sector, what would it be? Mm. Oh, gosh, well, one bit of advice. Well, so I was reading last week or the week before, like the week before last, um, I saw the Uptime Institute have just launched something, uh, what they, they've called it the um, Data Center Pathfinder, which I think is in conjunction with Meta, Google and Microsoft about exactly this about helping people find ways and uh, careers within within data centers um it, generally i'm finding it's becoming less of a niche um than it was maybe uh, a little while ago and it's no longer people in hawaiian shirts and flip-flops walking around inside data centers you know it's a proper job it's a proper career out there uh, i know a lot of unis are are, are doing semi um, data center type um, courses that will help you in terms of operational management of, of a data center. Um, but um, I, I mean, Andy, you're like me, we've been in it forever. You know, I love it. I just, I think it's the most fascinating industry. Uh, I can't imagine me doing anything else or being involved in any under, any other industry apart from data centers. Hey, it's one of those, once you're in it, you can't get out. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, it's also that as well. Yeah. Yeah, but you're drawn further into it rather than pushed further away, yeah. which is again one of the reasons why we all love it. I think. Yeah, I agree. 
Absolutely. A great way to end the podcast. Thanks for your time, John. Really enjoyed that conversation. And I'm sure an absolute you're, pleasure. I'm sure you're happy for anyone to reach out to you directly if they've got any further questions. Yes, please do. Yeah, absolutely. Please reach out to me. Um, uh, you can get us through through our website, www.xcall.com. Um, but yeah, absolutely. If, if anyone got any questions on what I've spoken about today, happy to elaborate more. Excellent. And we'll catch up again soon. Andy, thanks ever so much. Bye.